Well, it's a joy to be here in uh, America again. And uh, Mary and I flew in on Monday to Boston, and uh, we've been motoring since then. We didn't drive all down here, we flew, but we've been visiting friends, and uh, then with the pastors and elders on Friday night. And uh, thank you, Pastor Jordan, for your welcome. It is a joy to be with you all again at Grace Church. Brings back memories. I remember when we did the revival, you were in a church building somewhere. I'd want to say, yeah. And we all went to a donut place after one evening. I seem to remember that. And uh, we had some great times together. Pastor Jordan, I'm going to say this to you. It's a great privilege when our youngsters find Christ as Lord and Saviour. I had the privilege of baptising both of our children. Jo, short for Joanne, our daughter. That was way back in the 1980s. And our son, Steve, he's two and a half years younger than his sister. And a little while afterwards, one Sunday night at 10.30, he knocked our bedroom door. And we said, come in. He was the only other person in the house. Joe had gone. And we said, come in, Steve. And he came in and he said, he knelt down at the foot of our bed. And he said, Dad, would you baptize me? And I said, why, of course. Of course I will. Hallelujah. Amen. I said, you know, you're the only one who's ever asked for baptism when I'm sitting up in bed on a Sunday night at half past ten. But I said, by all means, I will. And by God's grace did. And it's a great joy. And it's a great... Are you going to baptize him next? I think one of the pastors has been discipled. It's a great thing for you and Tracy. God bless you. And the Andrew's siblings, wonderful. So a great joy to be with you. Thank you for the welcome. Thank you for having us. And uh, may the Lord bless us as we turn to his word. John chapter 21 and verses 15 to 25 are the verses I'd like to share with you this evening or this afternoon. I guess we are the evening, aren't we? And uh, may God bless us as we look at them. My title, I always put a title over a message and the title simply would be Following Jesus. And here you see in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, Jesus says to Peter, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And down in verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him, that is John, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So the text is here in John 21, follow me. Now let me say by way of introduction, I believe that John 21 follows seamlessly on from John 20. It's not a postscript, 
It's not an addendum at some later date, as some writers would suggest. I believe it flows and it follows on. Some feel the gospel ends at the end of chapter 20, where we have the words, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And they say, that's where it ends. Someone else has put chapter 21 in for us. But I believe, John, under the inspiration and power of God the Holy Spirit, 21 is his as well. And it flows and it follows on. And my heart feeling for saying this this evening would be just three little things. Number one, the restoration of dear Peter before Pentecost. Pentecost, seven weeks after the resurrection, how exactly long it is that Christ had been risen when this narrative happened, when this scene happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we're not told. Might have been a week or two or three. But Pentecost was coming up when Peter would preach with power on that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Second reason I bring for saying my heart feeling is chapter 21 is necessary and of John, the helpful and encouraging words about the future. And our lives are safe in God's hands. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And someone else will take you maybe where you don't want to go. And that's practical. Jordan told you earlier, we had 26 years in pastoral ministry. We, we've been doing the itinerant ministry we're doing now for 24 years. And um, if I then say I'm only 36 years of age, you won't believe it. But we've had 50 years of ministry. I think it's when we get into May tomorrow, I can say 50 years next month, June 1973, I was ordained into the Christian ministry. And thank God for those years. But as you get older, then you realize the body's getting older as well. Point number three, as why I feel this is necessary, as one writer puts it, this Christian gospel ends properly. Not with just the appearance of the risen Lord to his disciples and their belief in him, but with a confident statement that his mission to the world, undertaken at his command and under his authority, will be the means by which many are saved. That's proved the point. Now notice with me here the context. They are back in their old haunts, these disciples. They are back at Galilee. Some suggest they went back to the old life, fishing. And when you do, some would suggest it's unfruitful, no fish. We are told in chapter 21 and verse 3, that night they caught nothing. Their nets were empty. Dear old Peter who said, I'm going fishing. Their nets were empty until the Lord stepped in. 
and told them to cast their nets on the other side. So some say, oh, they've gone back to the old life and it doesn't work. But when the angel appeared to the women at the tomb on resurrection morning and the tomb was empty, the angel said, Matthew 28, 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Notice that. There you will see him. Now I have told you, says the angel to the women, tell the disciples I'm going ahead to Galilee. There you will see. They came to the place of appointment. Galilee. They came to the place where Christ had said, you will see me. And I call them here the Galilean seven. You've got the uh, five names in verse two of the chapter. The two others may well have been Andrew and Philip, and they are back home on home territory. Here, after the trauma, after the heartache, after the heartbreak of what they had been through, to see him betrayed, to see him arrested, to see him falsely accused, to see him flogged, and some victims died under that flogging before they ever got to the cross. And Jesus Christ was nailed up and lifted up for you and me. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry, now in heaven ascended high, hallelujah, what a saviour. And he died there for our sins, and they'd seen all this, and they now know that he is risen. So they've come through all of this. And it was Peter, they've arrived at Galilee where they're going to see the Lord, almost dear old impetuous Peter can't wait, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Therapeutic relaxing. We, we've got people in the UK love their fishing. I've never done it. They go and fish on the side of a river, on the side of a lake, on the end of a pier, out to sea with their fishing lines and everything else. But they go fishing and there's no fish. And the Lord is on the shore waiting. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And without their realizing who this stranger is on the shore, he calls out to them, throw your net on the right side and you will find some fish. And they landed 153. This time, Luke 5, we're not told the amount. This time, we've got the number, 153. And John, the Apostle John, said this, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Here's my first heading this afternoon. Heading number one, follow me. Follow me, says the Lord to Peter. Verses 19 and verse 22. In Mark 1, 17, some three years before or so, come follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Simon and Andrew left their nets, their boats, to follow Jesus. And James and John, they followed afterwards. And they're now back on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, where it all began. 
Three years has gone by, and they're back on maybe that same stretch of shore where he called them three years before. And surely they remember that original call, come, follow me. And they now see it all through their eyes which have been opened. Eyes opened by experience, eyes opened by what they've witnessed and what they've heard, and not a minute of it was a waste. They've heard the teaching. No man spake like this man, said the crowds. They've heard his preaching. They've seen the miracles, the healings, the raisings from the dead. Jairus' daughter, widow of named son, Lazarus, raised from the dead. He walked on this water where they are now. That water which he had created could bear his weight when he wanted to, it to. They'd been out on a storm on this lake. Experienced fishermen wake him up on the hinder part of the boat. Do you care not that we perish? And he just said to the storm, as you and I would speak to a little puppy dog, peace be still, be muzzled, get down. And it went down to a flat calm in a moment. And triggered the comment, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. He'd even seen, they'd even seen, just up the road at Cana of Galilee, water turned into wine. And he calls them. Now they've witnessed his death and his resurrection. He calls them to confirm that first commitment and then go on in the power of the coming Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. My dear friends, sometimes we need to go back to where it all began and rededicate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not be able to go back where it all began physically, geographically, but to go back spiritually to where it all began. Has your Bible reading become dry and lifeless recently? Has praying become difficult? Sometimes we can rush through our Bible reading and our prayer time, think we fulfilled that commitment for the day. Oh, that it might be living again. Oh, that the Word as you read it, study it day by day, might come alive. Things you've read many, many times coming alive and leaping out of the pages. Times in the prayer meeting, times in Bible study, a call to go back and rededicate ourselves to Christ where it all begins, began. Notice dear, here, dear old impetuous Peter, John tells him as they're coming into the shore and they've caught these fish, it is the Lord. And dear Peter always rushes ahead, does he not? Bless his heart. He jumped in. He's going to make it quickly to the beach to be with the Lord and there was the fire of burning coals we're told there was the brazier the barbecue whatever it was and our Lord there 
with the bread on the fire and fish on the fire. The Lord had his own fish. He didn't rely on the 153, although he might dip into that catch. He had his own fish there. And I sometimes wonder whether or not it rang a bell in dear old Peter's heart and mind when he saw the fire there early in that morning. Back in chapter 18 and verse 18 of John's Gospel, we're told, It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire. They had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Down in verse 25 of chapter 18, Simon Peter stood warming himself. He was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. He warmed himself by the fire. They recognised Galilean accent. You're not one of them, are you? I am not. He denied the Lord three times. And now the Lord on that beach, where it all began, three years ago, is going to deal tenderly with Peter. He deals tenderly with us, thank God. His patience, his mercy, his long-suffering. He fed Peter, there was breakfast ready. Fed the others before he dealt with Peter's spiritual needs. Gave him time to dry off because he jumped into that deep water, whatever. Time to get warm, time to satisfy his hunger and enjoy personal fellowship and communion with the Lord. Do you see how it's all fitting into place? Meet me in Galilee. Same shore where it all began. Tasty breakfast. If I was in the UK, I'd say the full English breakfast, but here what I'll do is apply it in America and say it's the Cracker Barrel, full breakfast or whatever. You enjoy that. And as the Gospel is drawing to a close, Jesus says to Peter in verse 19, follow me. And he says in verse 22, you must follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So heading number one, follow me. Heading number two, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, may I say here this evening, undoubtedly Peter had already been forgiven. Mark 16 and verses 6 and 7. Again, the angel to the women at the tomb, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, tomb was empty. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. I remember my father-in-law, Francis Dixon, one Easter Sunday morning, and we're going back years, he's been in glory since 1985, and we're going back way before that. One Sunday morning, Easter morning, he announced his text, it was from Mark 16, and the two words, and Peter. Go and tell his disciples would be sufficient to include Peter, would it not? But he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. For on that shore, from Peter, 
a public confession of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he responded by those who were present. Not only the other six of the Galilean seven, but others may have gathered round as well. Peter was being restored to apostleship, to discipleship, to the responsibilities that are going to rest on his shoulders in the coming days. And notice here, the barrier of failure and sin had to be removed. Christ requires that. Behind all of this, that great truth, before Jesus Christ can be followed and served, the sin in our lives has to be addressed. Jesus insists on this, even to the point of dear Peter being hurt. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter was hurt. One version has it, Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? One writer has it like this, failure is never final with the Lord. And another writer put it like this, when he was once asked what forgiveness means, he replied, it's the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. It's the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. The world would have written Peter off. The Lord's going to restore him. And three times, once for every denial, do you truly love me more than these? You get it in verse 15, 16, and 17. And each time he answers positively. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Some years ago, on some blank space at the bottom of chapter 21 of John in my Bible, I wrote down this quote. I don't know where I got it from, but I got it from someone or another, and it's simply this. The first essential in a Christian worker is love for Christ himself. The writer went on, wisdom will not do, eloquence will not do, we may delight in the work itself. People sometimes talk about a passion for souls as essential in someone who would work for Christ, but this is not enough. Nothing less than a passion for Christ himself is necessary to equip one for souls. And then the writer said this, asked this, do you truly love me comes before feed my sheep. David, do you truly love me more than coming to the United States and being able to preach in a lovely place like this? Elders of Grace Church, do you truly love me, the Lord may ask, more than these? more than serving in the local church. Deacons could be asked the same. Whatever our gifting, function, and position in the local church may be, he can ask, do you love me more than these? 
Writers have asked over the years, what does all more than these mean? More than these other disciples? More than these fishing boats that you used to go out in here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee? More than these love me? Maybe. But do you love me more than these offices you hold in the work of the gospel of Christ? And so our Lord challenges, dear Peter, and Peter, this restored, forgiven disciple, apostle, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Three things. This rededication, this restoration, this commitment again to the Lord and to his church is given here by the risen Christ. To Peter, the apostle, the preacher, the fledgling bride of Christ, just 120 or so people until the day of Pentecost, the power of the gospel on the day of Pentecost, when dear Peter, Peter preached, this restored apostle and disciple, and about 3,000 were added to their number. I will make you fishers of men, not 153 this time, fish, but 3,000 or so souls, one for Christ, one for the kingdom of God. Feed my lambs. It's lambing time in the United Kingdom. So on the way to Heathrow Airport, London, on Monday, taxi driver pointed out the sheep and the lambs, the little lambs that have been born the youngsters, the babes in Christ, give them the milk of the word of God. It was Winston Churchill, our one-time prime minister, and particularly through the Second World War, along with your Dwight D. Eisenhower and all of the planning they did to conquer Europe, to take France back again and conquer Germany and so on, was dear old Churchill who could come out with pithy statements from time to time, and he once said this, there's no greater investment in any society than putting milk into babies. And it's true. We did it with our two. No greater investment in any society than putting milk into babies, for they will grow and become mature physically. And I... I yearn for the young people in our nation of the United Kingdom and I would plead with the Lord for them in the days in which we are living of so many temptations, so many distractions, so many pressures, peer pressure, social media, dark side, black side of social media pressures on our young people, drawing them away from the things of the Lord and from the things of Almighty God. When you see your youngsters growing up and coming forward for baptism, say, Amen. Feed my lambs. Look after them. Nurture them. Peter could say in his first letter, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you might grow thereby. And we want to see them growing. We want to see them fed with the word of God. We want to see them excited to be in the word of God and to be walking with him. 
feed my sheep, the more mature. No longer on the milk of the Word of God, now on the meat. And feeding on that meat, the meat of the Word, day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday. Thank the Lord for this church. Thank the Lord for this fellowship where the Word of God is faithfully preached Sunday by Sunday. Pray, my dear friends, in these days in which we are living for faithful Bible-believing churches and assemblies where the Word is being faithfully taught. Dear Ricky Couples took me to speak this morning at church over in West Memphis. And after the message, there was a, an elderly brother leaving. And as he walked past me, he said, Tell me, what's the percentage of people in churches in the United Kingdom who believe the truth you've just shared this morning? Because there are more and more moving away from the authority of the Word of God more and more treading the road of the world, more and more following secularism, agnosticism, so you go on. Thank God for fellowships where the Word of God is faithfully preached. Pray for Bible-believing churches around you. Pray for faithful preachers of the Word of God. May God raise up more in the days in which we are living, for we are living in difficult days but we must stand for the word, preach the word, and feed the sheep. So heading number one, follow me. Heading number two, feed my sheep. Heading number three, faith for the future. Faith for the future. Verse 18, there's a cross here to be carried. The end of verse 17, Jesus said, now for the third time, feed my sheep. And then here, verse 18, I tell you the truth, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. A cross to be carried he will serve into old age when the dear brother would no longer, Jesus tells him, be able to dress himself. He'll serve into old age and then he will be cared for. And in verse 19, we see why the words are used with hands outstretched, indicating the kind of death by which Peter would die, an indication of death by crucifixion. Peter would remain true to the Lord to the end. Until he was martyred. May we be true to the Lord to the end. We must, Hebrews 12, fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our salvation. And dear old Peter, bless his heart, he turned and he saw John. Lord, what about him? And the Lord gently responds, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
And the great teaching of this is our lives are safe in God's hands. What is that to you, Peter? You must follow me. And our God, our Lord, uses us according to his sovereign will. We sometimes look at others. Oh, that I saw the blessing that they seem to be getting. What is that to you? We wish we had their gifts. What is that to you? Our fruit seems so meager compared with theirs. What is that to you? The Lord leads and guides us and uses us according to his holy will. Peter would serve one way, John would serve another. Peter would die one way, John another. John in exile on the island of Patmos. You must follow me, Peter, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Breakfast by the lake. Would they ever forget it? The communion, the fellowship, the intimacy, the joy of being with their Saviour, the risen Christ. A glimpse, may we say, of the marriage supper of the Lamb in glory. Only a wee glimpse when the redeemed will take their places at that glorious feast. And as the Puritans used to say, and when I quote this, someone comes up to me after a service and says, well, actually, David, no, it was the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley. And then I quote another place, this little quote, and I'll give you in a moment, and someone comes up to me and says, no, actually, it was the Puritans, whoever it was, Rest assured, it's the truth. And it's simply this, the best is yet to be. In the dark times in which we are living, the best is yet to be. The great preacher, writer, pastor, previous generation in the United Kingdom, Alexander McLaren, great commentator, 12 years, he pastored a church in the city where we live. Then he moved on to that great ministry he exercised in Manchester, up in northern England. And if you see in Alexander McLaren, under John 21, he says this, In the morning light we shall see him standing on that steadfast shore. The pilot of the Galilean lake who will guide our frail boat through the wild surf that marks the breaking of the sea of life on the shore of eternity. And when the sun rises over the eastern hills, we shall land on that solid beach, and we shall rest, nor need to ask, who is he that serves us? For we shall know it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Back in June 1993, got a phone call one Monday evening from my sister, my younger sister. You better come. Mother's dying. 
hundred miles away, and I left that evening, had the clearest run I've ever known, every light was green. I got into the hospital near where I was brought up by mum and dad. Ten o'clock in the evening, we sat with mother, my father, my sister, and myself. We sat with mum all night. Next morning, lovely doctor saw dad and me. My sister had gone home just to get some food and change. And the doctor said to my father, your wife is dying. She'd had severe arthritis, but now she had pneumonia. And he said, use the facilities of the hospital and she will quietly slip away. She had surfaced a little the previous night and all she said during the whole of the time that we sat with her, so David's come. She surfaced sufficiently from being unconscious to say, so David's come. And I said, yes, Mum, I'm here. And I thought, you know what that means. So we sat with her all through the Tuesday, coming and going for cups of tea and sandwiches and so forth. Ten minutes to six, we were all round her bed on the Tuesday evening. And the pattern of her breathing changed. And I nudged my sister, who had dozed off to sleep. I said, breathing's changed. And suddenly, a bright smile broke out over the whole of her face. She'd been in pain for years with the arthritis, but this bright smile broke out over her face. She was in a room, side room on her own, away from the ward, and that smile, nigh on, illuminated the whole room. Bright, glowing. This was mother as we knew her years ago, when she was not in pain. The smile faded, the breathing stopped. She'd gone. She'd gone. Now, I, in my mind, after that, thought, one day when I get to glory and see my dear mother there, she led me to Christ years ago, bless her heart, I shall say, Mum, what did you see in Christchurch Hospital that evening, 10 minutes to 6, back in June 1993. I know we're not going to ask questions like that when we get to glory, but supposing I did, Mother would say, you know full well what I saw and who I saw. She saw the Lord standing on that shore. There in glory in heaven above to welcome her home to welcome her home. The best is yet to be, believe me. We're marching upwards to Zion, that beautiful city of God, and we thank God for that great promise. Saved by grace, do you know Christ as your own Lord and Saviour? Have you turned from your sin, confessed it, received him as Lord and Saviour, repented of that sin? Have you fallen back as a Christian, backsliding, and the Lord is summoning you back? And he will deal with you. You rededicate yourself to him and follow him day by day and thank him our lives are safe 
in God's hands. So may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and grant you his peace. I'm just going to pray, and then I believe we're going to sing again. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we bow in your holy presence. We come, O God, mindful of our inadequacy, conscious of our sin, and, O God, before in a moment those of us who are believers know Christ as Lord and Saviour, take the bread and the cup. O Lord, forgive us. As we make that personal confession, Lord, forgive us. And bless us, O God, we pray. Bless your word to our hearts this evening. Do you truly love me? Ask the Lord more than these. May we be able to respond and say, yes, Lord, you know. I love you. And I thank you for what you've done for me. For Christ's sake. Amen.